Hello, and welcome to Reptory Screenings, Episode 8. I'm your host, M, and with me are my regular co-host, Jackson. Hello. And Destiny. Hello. And we're here to talk about movies. Woo! Yeah! We did it. It's movie time. It's movie time. Uh, Jackson, you're cheating on us. What? Yes, yes I am. I'm cheating on you. <laughs> also, you can... So you. Uh, it's not not by the time this episode comes out. <laughs> uh, when people are accused of cheating, that's usually a thing that is of worthwhile defense. <laughs> <laughs> You're also cheating. <laughs> um, I'm doing a James Bond podcast. Uh, yeah, do you want to tell Dia. people about it so they can listen? It is called Never Say Podcast Again. I am doing it uh, with Dia Lucina, who is a friend of the site. Uh, a blogger of the year. Blogger of the year for eternity. <laughs> you know. Um, and we are going to be watching every James Bond movie uh, in the lead up to Bond 25, which means all 27 of them, because there's two extra ones. Uh, which means, yes, we're doing, uh, we're doing all the MGM ones and also Casino Royale uh, and Never Say Never Again, which we would have to because we named our podcast after it. <laughs> Um, yep. And it's just a good time. We're watching the Bond movies. We go through uh, one a week. We'll be taking some weeks off because, you know, but we, we're trying to stick on schedules to, to make sure we hit uh, Bond 25 when it comes out is the aim. So we're not going to take too many weeks off. So it will be a mostly weekly podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm I'm loving it so far. But then again, I have only watched the first two uh, Sean Connery movies, Goldfingers, next week. So we'll see oh, how yeah, You immediately <laughs> get to bad movies. So how it's fine. Positive I am bad at oh, work. great Bond theme, though. Great Bond theme, but um, From Watch With Love, the masterpiece. Please listen to our podcast about James Bond. I'm so excited to talk about From Watch With Love tomorrow. Yes. Um, and then uh, probably a week from now, I don't know. I'm not editing it, so I don't get to say when it comes out. Uh, the first episode of my podcast, uh, and then an aeroplane comes out, which I am recording uh, about Studio Ghibli movies uh, with my friend Autumn. Uh, once every two weeks. Uh, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, which should be Monday night, Tuesday morning, um, you have one day to send an email about Castle of Cagliostro if you want to get that included. Uh, just send it to podcast out of normalmapping.com because we haven't recorded yet. We're recording on Wednesday. So, yep. Uh, I've been putting out a call. So if you follow me at all, uh, you've seen. Um, so there's no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've wow. been putting out calls for James Bond questions, but I'm slightly less aggressive about it. So, yes. <laughs> no one will shame you on, on Jackson's Bond podcast. Yeah, That's not it. true. Yeah. That is not true. Dia will shame absolutely everybody. <laughs> I'm excited. Speaking oh, of, oh, sorry, were you going to say something? I was just going to say it's good. I had nothing. Oh, I was going <laughs> to call out Daniel Craig because uh, is it Ryan Johnson or Rian Johnson? Rian Johnson. What do you? What, Rian Johnson. I thought it was Rian. I it it looks Ryan. like it's spelled Ryan, but I think it's pronounced Ryan, but I don't actually know. How is Ryan Johnson? Not how old is he? All right, thank you. <laughs> he's probably old. Is he old? He he's looks 40, old. He's he doesn't look old. He's forty five. <laughs> oh, he's young. Sorry, Ryan. Ryan. Well, what did he that, do? What did what did I, him and Daniel Craig do? What happened here? Well, can oh, I just, can I just say that I googled how does Rian Johnson pronounce his name, uh, and the top result uh, on Google's algorithm was uh, Timothy Chamouet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he's got this new movie coming out called Knives Out. Yes, and it's got a cavalcade of stars, including Daniel Craig. Yes. And <laughs> the <laughs> accent that Daniel Craig has chosen to use for this movie. Cause I assume the characters just, he's a he's a southern 
gentleman and he cannot hold on to the exit. It is the funniest thing in the world. Even in the trailer, he's losing the exit and it's my favorite thing. It's it's incredible. It's pretty good. <laughs> That's all I wanted to say about that. He can't he can't do it. He it'd be like casting me as as a <laughs> you know, as the southern gentleman. Like it, it's really that ridiculous. It's true. It's really silly. This is I've the never episode seen... where Jackson compares himself to Daniel Craig. <laughs> oh <laughs> Jackson's Craig American my... accent is so fun. <laughs> you will not be hearing now. No. For some reason, they've decided that all Americans talk very low and very slowly, so it's very much like this. It's super cute. Okay. That's, not... <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty good approximation, actually. <laughs> what, is, what is it? Was I doing, like, the, 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 a fucking dwarf accent or something? What is this? <laughs> Reading out the Hobbit or something. That's not what dwarves sound like. You've seen The Hobbit. Don't pretend. They don't sound like that. I oh, the by the way. I meant the goblins. The ones that, the ones that, mm. trolls, the trolls, you know, the thing that turns to stone. They come out and do Man. the big voices. Really just putting remember. it out there, huh? Well, uh, <laughs> I've never seen Daniel Craig in a non-British role, so. <laughs> I just, I don't know. Where are we going with this? <laughs> Wait. We're here, <laughs> We're here to talk about movies. We we saw a movie. Yeah, but Jackson hasn't it, seen so it yet, I, so we can't talk about I, it. I was gonna see it this week, but I I didn't have a way to get to town. It was pouring with rain. Uh, okay. So unfortunately, I could not. We'll talk about it next time. Very okay. topical. Uh, yeah. Okay. I guess let's just get into the thing. Yeah. Uh. So this month, a wee week. I I need a I need a term. Fortnite does not sound right. Just say we. This this episode. It is a week. It's always a week. It is uh, sure this week. <laughs> this is all goes. This is all staying in. Uh, this <laughs> week we have watched a Wanda, which is a movie Destiny picked. It is uh, written, directed, and starring by uh, Barbara Loden. Uh, it came out in 1970 um, at the Venice Film Festival. It came out in 71 in the U.S. Uh, this is a movie about a, a woman who lives in like the coal region of Pennsylvania and is drifting unmoored through life as she's going through a divorce and uh, sleeping with random guys and gets tangled up with a bank robber and goes on a very negative misadventure. Um, it, 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 it's not, it's not Bonnie and Clyde. It's not cute. <laughs> no, it is not. Um, and that's basically what happens. That's the movie. It's, it's that's uh, the whole film. as an independent film, uh, you know, from the seventies, it is defined by it's like empty spaces and slowness. So there isn't a whole lot of a plot somewhere other than she hooks up with this guy. He's a shit bag. And then, uh, he tries to rob a bank and gets killed and she escapes and still drifts through life. Uh, because that's not going to solve any problems. Yep. What did we think? I really liked it. Uh, I had a great time with it. It was very slow, so I kind of had to get used to it uh, over the first 15 minutes or so, but I, I still I, I, I liked it a lot. Um, and then I came out of it going, ah, shit, I've got, I, what am I meant to say about this? Because <laughs> it, it, it's all on the surface. Like, it, it's not... Um, it's it's not like a rich movie, and I don't mean that as, a, uh, as an insult. It, it's just all right there. And the silences aren't like, oh, there's lots to consider here. It's just look at the vast emptiness of this place as she goes through her life. 
Yeah, it's um, just it's just like it's just like you know cinematic realism where like yeah. the the message is that there's not it's just the thing you're looking at the plot happens and it's bad and the themes are right there because it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> there's no hidden there's no hidden truth to consider. It's just this is like it do be like that sometimes. Uh, is basically how the movie is, uh, and I I really liked Wonder a lot because, um, well, so she's like completely drifting and has nothing. Uh, really going on in her life uh, but she does show up to her own divorce proceedings late in curlers uh, which is the coolest thing you can do um, so that rules nothing <laughs> <laughs> she does after this really uh, like holds up to this level of not giving a fuck it turns out to be apathy more than actual like because that is right a thing that in the cool version of the crime movie someone would do and then would just be cool for the rest of the movie uh, instead, mm-hmm. she's just. Do you not agree? I mean, I I feel like the way it's her those divorce proceedings are depicted is like, like she literally goes and says like, I don't care what happens to my kids. I guess they can live with the guy. Which in 1970 is like basically unthinkable. She could have showed up and said anything, and they would have given those kids to her, um, because mm-hmm. it just be like that. Um, and instead, she literally just abdicates her parental responsibility because she's sleeping on a couch and wearing colors that don't seem to do anything because she takes them out and her hair is as straight as can be. <laughs> um, I had a completely different read on that court scene. I really? saw it as she, one, didn't have a car and she obviously got kicked out of her house because yes. her husband's set on marrying a completely different woman and she's had this history of either just neglect or drunkenness and uh no she's not a fit mother i don't know if it's apathy or what or whatever the attitude to mothering is comes in like like essentially has to um scrounge about to get to court so being late wasn't like intentional or out of not caring i just think it was lack of resources and then when she gets there she just tells them the truth. The kids would be better off with him. She's not. Oh, yes. But her apathy to me is like a more all encompassing one because he literally says like, when we were married, she didn't like, she didn't take care of the kids. She didn't watch them. I had to leave because there was nothing like we couldn't do this because she wasn't actually like being there and present for the children. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't trust the husband off, like, at his word just because the way, like, he already had the new wife that he, like, the new intended wife sitting no, there. It was very the, weird. But, the, like, that thing to me, because he literally says, like, I had, like, we had, I, we split up and then this lady came into our life and was watching over the children and is doing a great job. I'd like to marry her. The kids need a mother. Like I read that as genuine um, because through the rest of the film, we see that literally she will just like, like do the things that she like is demanded of her and otherwise kind of drifts through life. I think it is meant to be a like, in this, like, she's been dealt a bad hand. I think in this situation with her family, like, there is culpability in, like, she was a neglectful mother. And her husband left with the kids because she wasn't there to take care of them. Uh, which is kind of what I mean about the thing with the curlers in that, like, right. There are a lot of movies about um, 
women who are rightfully the uh especially rightfully mistreated that's not what i mean have been mistreated and rightfully like striking out like without giving a fuck about the people you know could we watch more than cooler and it kind of falls into that genre um and i think that the, there's a you know there's a way that you can read the start of this movie as the start of one of those movies um but the film ends up going on and it doesn't like you know she doesn't run away and embrace a new life uh of uh breaking free of the things that have held her down really it's not about that it's just about her all-encompassing emptiness in a very sad way yeah no i definitely agree there and i i I guess i guess i just like like i said that courtroom Mm -hmm. scene was less about her not giving a fuck and i think just her being honest about the situation well i mean the the judge is like legitimately incredulous that she shows up and claims she doesn't want the kids like you know yeah the dynamics but, of uh, of parenthood and like like gendered expectations of parenthood in the nineteen seventies were pretty ironclad. I feel like he literally doesn't want to give the kids to this guy until she shows up because he definitely wants to hear from her and probably give her the kids. And she does everything in her power in that courtroom to make sure she does not end up with those kids. I mean, I feel like yeah, he tries to like offer them to her, like you'll get yes. them, and then yeah, and she's just like, no, they'd be better off with him. Uh, anyway. Um, I guess I just was fighting back against the idea that, like, she would get, like, I don't know, she would have to say, like, she would have to argue with him, and she had no fight in her, and that's kind of just Wanda. I mean, I don't, I don't disagree. I think she's self-aware about who she is. Like, I don't, I don't think she's being not earnest when she says that. I think she, like, genuinely believes, it's not, like, it, it does come from her, like, kind of... Uh, apathy and selfishness but it's also an awareness of like she does genuinely believe that the kids will be better with him like, yes uh, yes and i mean the movie shows us that, that is true there's no yes. way that the kids would be uh better off with her uh at all but but it's it's a very sad like re- respect uh perspective on that because she like realizes who she is but has no ability or even drive to like change that um internally and also like externally right like she doesn't have the money um she'll go to the off thing and be like can i have a better shift and they're like well no you can't have a better shift uh so it's just a really sad combination of like the personality uh, of who she is and just the circumstances that she's living in uh it's not going well she's very depressed <laughs> yeah it's a super depressed setting it's a super depressed like Part of me likes to imagine what this movie would be if she had the same attitude, but she was uh, super duper rich. And the first thing that came to mind was the Sofia Coppola Marie Antoinette. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've not seen that. I've oh. also not seen that. So we, really? So both, of, yeah. so both of us are silently going, well, maybe. <laughs> oh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> Just Sorry. sort of falling into these situations and not really having a chance to really one like the com- just the combination of apathy and then circumstance mm-hmm. and how awful that can be in for for a lot of people. But anyway, yes. So uh, apparently, this is semi autobiographical. She kind of felt like before she got into film. Barbara Loden herself, she said that she was very passive and sort of went along with whoever was more forceful at the time. And uh, she famously was married to filmmaker Ilya Kazan and 
uh, who seems like of, the biggest shitbag in all the world. Yes. <laughs> the last person. Oh, yeah, hello. like, I remember when he died and people... I guess he named names during all the, like, blacklisting. Sure of course did. He did. Yeah, so when uh, his uh, immemorium thing came up at the Oscars, I remember people sitting down in protest and w- not really understanding that, because that was 1999, I think. It was, that wasn't, that wasn't his immemorium. It was. Oh, was that. it? It was uh, Scorsese giving him an honorary Oscar. <laughs> Uh, oh my bad and yes. fucking like staring daggers at the audience of the people who weren't standing up which makes me hate scorsese even though i like a lot of his films um, i watched that broadcast and totally oh. forgot that it ha- went down like that so yeah no and, and yeah people were really upset and uh yeah no he he was awful even about this movie he said that he wrote the script and she rewrote it so much that it became hers and tried to dis i feel like he tried to discredit her he just but sounds he- like a bad dude and so a lot of people part read- of that thing is that when he said that she was a one year dead like he did not say yes. that while she was around to like to be like fuck off mm-hmm, exactly oh worst uh, person. <laughs> yeah so that was kind of shitty and then like i'm pretty sure everything he says about her in his autobiography is like super condescending and very bad but anyway so a lot of people read into this movie her relationship with him and sort of put him in the spot of the uh dennis character and i don't know i i I think that's worth noting Mm -hmm. i mean i think of like this and like looking at like mikey and nikki and i just think that this is what men are like (laughs) Yep. Like, I don't even think it has to be particularly specific to Elie Kazan. I think this is just, uh, like, every movie of this era directed by a woman depicts men like this, because men were probably just like this. Um, oh, yeah. She herself said of the film that she wasn't trying to... She was saying that this was, like, a universal condition of people. Yeah. Some people <laughs> don't know why they exist. Like, it's not just women. It's just sort of this... Uh, wandering passive person with no direction, and she's like, sure, a lot of people are that way. This is a movie about gender, also. I mean, yes, but I'm also like, low, like, I, I don't want, I don't think every woman sets out to just because, she, like, she says it's not about gender, and so I feel like we have to take that into account. Like, I don't. You know. I mean, we don't we don't have to take like we we can definitely talk about it, but like I don't think the condition that Wanda like Wanda's personality is like inherently feminine. I think the way everyone in the movie t- treats her is entirely around the way men treat women. Okay, that's fair. Like I don't know. I just I thought you meant the opposite. No, no, no. Because like everything about she gets like uh the ways that like men use her for sex and then dump her like that guy literally tries to sneak out of the hotel room while she's sleeping uh and abandon her at the hotel like far from her home um and then ends up just dumping her at the ice cream shop uh like her getting robbed in the theater and then the kid just like you know apathetically handing her a purse and her wallet that have been rifled through um and everything about dennis like all of it is just like these like she is a disposable person and that has much to do with her classes does her gender and the way that she acts and like all of that is wrapped up together and bad time it really is but we could also picture another character who you know would actually not let herself be dragged along with 
uh, I think his name's Norman Dennis, when he first, when they first meet, she's in that bar, and she thinks he's the bartender or something, and he's robbing it, the actual bartender's on the ground with a towel in his mouth, it's totally, like, cartoonish how this robbery goes down, this guy is not very good at anything, and he pulls her along with him, and I think any other movie could have, she would have been like, no, and just gone off and not stayed with him, but she feels like she should. She uh, acts out of that apathy, and I think that's really interesting and unique. Well, so this is like three years after Bonnie and Clyde, which is a movie about like how cool and sexy it is to escape like uh, traditional femininity by a murderer coming in and taking you away, even if that adventure ends in your death. Like Wanda actually like looks at that and calls it bullshit, and is about the ways in which it is bullshit, right? Oh, yeah, no, she's, like, puking, she's scared shitless, like, it, 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 it's it's not sexy, it's not exciting. Also... And Dennis the, sucks, the, like, he's just an abusive, demeaning asshole. There's nothing she pur- appealing about him. She purposely makes it a non-romance, like, she mm-hmm. does not want this to be read as a romance. Uh, and I, I don't think it is, but yeah, yeah, he's a piece of shit. Um, I do think it's really interesting how, like, at the start, she does try to, like, come on to him because she's like, this is what I'm supposed to do in this situation. And then he completely, like, goes off on her for that, for daring to try that. Uh, but then later in the movie is, like, putting his hand on her legs in really unsettling ways. Um, and just the ways that he can completely turn on a dime on, like, their terms of their relationship is uh, very scary and real, right? Men are awful. <laughs> Uh, so I, I appreciated that stuff. I thought that was really good. Because um, uh, I, I agree uh, that this is like very strongly... She might say that this is the universal experience, and I think like the experience of like depression and apathy in a, and being poor are definitely universal experiences for people. Uh, but yeah, the, the movie is saying a lot of things about gender. Like It can't help it. It, it just is. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that it isn't. I'm just mm-hmm. saying I don't want to... Like, <laughs> she said herself that she was trying to make a universal character. Uh, I do agree that the treatment of her is very much about gender. I don't necessarily agree that the character is representing all women or... Oh, no. No, no which no. is not what I said. I know, I'm just making sure that the listener understands that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, the, like, um, whatever I think of the, f- of the, like, final ten minutes of the movie after after uh, Dennis gets shot. Because um, I, you know, I think it's very good. And just the most depressing thing, how she's freed from this and just goes straight back into drifting and is, uh, you know, uh, another man attempts to rape her and then... Um, ends up walking to like uh she, she walked to like some kind of bar it's just like a roadhouse just like, like a roadhouse okay yeah i uh, liked uh the the generosity of everyone around her as opposed to how she's being treated their whole film and finally people are just giving her food giving I, her cigarettes i did not read it that way because i read it as just the expectation is she's gonna show up they're gonna ply her with cigarettes and booze and it's just more like paving over who she is as a person as yep. like like she's she's pulled into a party 
at a time where she is like going through like grief and recovering like like she has been on this very traumatic experience and the first thing everyone does is just set her in the middle of a party and expect her to have fun oh see i read it as she's getting stuff she didn't ask for and maybe i mean she's like desperately scarfing hot dogs because she's probably starving but they are also like giving her drinks and cigarettes and in a way Mm -hmm. that to me feels very much like like being imposed upon um, okay. My thing with this is, and the entire movie, I'm like, because uh, she starts sleeping on her sister's couch, and her sister's husband clearly is not happy about it. But she doesn't even try to ever contact these people again, uh, including when Dennis is dead. And I think that's really interesting. Like, she just doesn't care enough to even go back to the life that, she, that was, I guess, marginally, like, less traumatic. Mm-hmm. I mean, she doesn't really have a way to. Like, she doesn't even know where she is. I mean, she, like... You call them. But if she's... I don't know. I guess I just didn't... I didn't read it that way. But that's Like, okay. uh, the expectation in the 70s is you would know your phone number. I, I know that's not the case now, but I she probably guess, knows how to call them. I But you, you need money. And then, like, okay, every time she tries to get something from someone, they expect her to sleep with them or they want something from her. So she's not going to ask for help. And the fact that these people are unasked helping her i think she might be overwhelmed that you know they might want something from her but i i I kind of chose to read it as a more positive thing of like well maybe this group of people won't treat you like the last batch of people you interacted with but i also i I don't know i think it all was too soon for her to think about like the the movie ends on a freeze frame of her in like utter despair so i don't i don't buy it (laughs) yeah i i read it as kind of a mix between those two i i think i tend to read the people in the roadhouse as uh being mostly earnest um but i do think it ends up being like a she's after all this after all this like awfulness basically reached an oasis in the desert uh and people are giving her food and and stuff um, and they are getting it like I, I'm not erasing uh, M side of it because they are just being like oh it's time for a party here have all the party stuff and she's not ready for that um, but I do think it ends up being like a moment where she's in relative safety and happiness and is just completely unable to like find that in, inside herself it ends up being a very sad ending for me I like I liked that quite a bit like even if she was in the most perfect place she'd still be just like deeply sad and depressed and, and like this uh, and it ended up that was it was a it was a surprisingly moving ending for a film that like i wasn't taken off guard by anything that happened right like it was all right there like yep nope yeah and now he's gonna treat her like shit for the 45 minutes um and so i, re- I really like the, the the final note of it just being like oh look i'm being too traumatized to uh accept anything um anything good because you just passed that point I, for I think me, it's Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Well, I was going to say, it's not that I took it as a happy ending. I was just, Mm -hmm. I took it as more of a hopeful sort of like, maybe these people will treat her different. But the sad part is she's definitely stayed the same throughout all of it. And yeah, like you said, has gone through some really traumatic things. But I'd like to think that the situation might change. But I don't know. Uh, You're right. Like, it doesn't really give you too much. It's kind of what you read into. What were you going to say, Em? 
So for me, like, she walks in, and this final scene depicts her as basically uncommunicative. She's, like, the if she was covered in blood, she'd be the end of a slasher movie, like the final girl who survives yes. to get back to town. And she walks in, and the first thing everyone does is pull her into, like, a big party table and, like, give her a cigarette and, like, have her hang out. So, like, no one actually cares about her existence past, like, she's here, she's in the party. And at some point, the roadhouse closes down, and everyone goes home. Uh, and she doesn't have that. Like, there's, this isn't a, like, this moment is not a support system. Like, it's just a buoying, like, before she drowns, and she'll just go back to drowning after this, is Mm -hmm. the way I read this. Because that's the entire, like, existence in this, like, from the beginning, where she's, like, hitting up people with literally no money for money, uh, and they give it to her, because, like, the guy who's, like, picking coal is, like, the one nice person in this entire film, um... Uh, through to like all this stuff with Dennis and uh, her boss, who's like, you're too slow to uh, to work. Uh, can't Ugh. put you on the shift. Um, and uh, it's like the lack of care for other people because everyone is living through like a hellscape of being poor and in cycles of violence. Because uh, like the thing, the unspoken thing in this movie is that Wanda's condition is not like sig- like significantly different than a lot of people's. But the rea- like the reaction is more heightened and real. Like she's living through the existential despair that's meant to reflect like everyone's con- condition, because everyone mm-hmm. around her is also just drifting. They're just doing it with like a better face on. Yes. Uh, yeah, because I, I definitely read the movie as, um, and I, I know I also read the Wikipedia page, and apparently this is was not what she was going for. Also, but it's what the movie is as kind of like a treatise on class in America, right? Like. I mean, it's the same, you know, 1970, a bad time, bad time to be bad in uh, the coal country, right? Right. Like, just th- that first shot where she walks across, like the the long shot uh, where she's walking across the coal field or whatever mm-hmm. it is, uh, just emptiness and going up to that guy and he's got a little bit of money and he'll try to help out and she'll just go on her way. Um, it, it sucks. No one has any money. Everyone's doing the best. Um, this This kind of despair is something uh the it's not like inherent to this one character study it is like portrayed at least to me as uh a natural reaction to this environment Mm-hmm. The thing, the thing that I uh, told Dusty when we were watching this, because we, uh, I know you haven't seen it yet, but this, this movie takes place one year after the events depicted in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is like the most rose-colored glasses version of like, mm-hmm. and it's in Hollywood and everyone's wealthy, like even the poor people have money, um, uh, and it's like so much more like sugar-coated and fake feeling than this, um. And every time we watch the 70s, we were like, 70s just look like the end of the world happened and everyone kept going. Um, and this movie is extremely that on purpose. Uh, yeah, sure. It, it, and this was like shot in 69. Yeah. Um, so, like, it was definitely a weird... Because I have I was not alive, but watching the movies, right, the, the disparity between the 60s and the 70s is hilariously large. Yeah, it definitely feels like a lot. <laughs> Um, but then the disparity in the same way between the 70s and the 80s is ridiculous as well. Yeah, everyone uh, cleaned up their cities. <laughs> well, it was just a different landscape entirely. Like they were coming out of the war in, in the 80s. And there's just like a lot of factors contributing. 
Uh, the thing I think of is like Giuliana cleaning up New York and way more cops. Like the state as like, we are going to make everything look really nice, but only as a way to like justify our oppression of poor people and uh, non-white people is the defining feature of the A's to me. All the money is spread around, but only among the people who already had it. To me, it's also like the transition of a cinema uh, from the city to the suburb, right? Because the 80s is where all the suburb comedies come from. It's yeah. also just... Uh, this was what film evolved into from being like slick Hollywood productions to on-location, low-budget, grainy, and gritty. Yeah. Well, they, when I think of this, and like I said, Bonnie and Clyde, which is like, you know... Uh, seen as like beginning of like new like new wave Hollywood stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, this is still like miles away from that movie, which still has like so much uh, like romance in the broader sense to it. Um, and this movie does not have that. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. what what makes that film what it is? I think is the violence as well. Mm-hmm. But that's a whole nother thing. I don't know. It's just, it's such a different thing. Like, the memory of it versus what it was actually there versus, you know. Um, and even for an independent movie, I feel like this movie feels so much low budget compared to other independent things from the time. I find that really interesting. And I really have nothing more to add to the discussion other than I'm really sad that she didn't live to make more movies. Me too. Me too. Yes, this is is a good movie. I would have loved to see more stuff that she had done. I'd like to see some movies that she was in. I haven't seen any of them, really, so... The only one I've ever seen uh, is an Ilya Kazan movie. Actually, one of my favorite movies called Splendor in the Grass. Uh, It was notable for being Warren Beatty's first movie. And he he plays this, like, Midwestern uh, jockey kid with this really, like outlandish promiscuous flapper sister it's set in the 20s and uh she plays the flapper sister she's fucking great in it i just wanted to say uh the uh in addition to bonnie and clyde it's also very clear like pulling from uh you know breathless um, yeah oh yeah yeah didn't even think about that well the car scenes are basically identical to me like the weird handheld shots in the cars Mm. Yeah, no, you're probably right. I just didn't make it. It's been a while since I've sat and watched Breathless. We can do that. I don't want to podcast about it because fuck Godard. Yeah, yeah, no, that's what I said. No, it's fine. I just, I'm just saying. I need to revisit Breathless also. So me and Destiny can sit down and watch Breathless sometime. Yeah, the thing I was gonna say is I don't like Breathless at all. (laughs) I don't like Breathless at all either. So oh, I love it. I, I also I, haven't there, seen it since good, I was probably 19. There are Godards that I like, uh, but Breathless, I think, doesn't have anything other than the part where he really hates women. To uh, I, yep. Well, like, from the perspective of, like, a movie that's, like, deconstructing Humphrey Bogart characters, I still think it holds up in that regard. But yeah, that's no, fair. you're you're not wrong about the woman-hating thing. That's <laughs> Well, that's fair, because, like... Uh, that is tr- is trying to do that, but in a sense where then this movie comes along and then also reveals that uh, Godard's version of that is just as uh, shitty um, and romanticized as the one it was supposedly critiquing in the first place. But I mean, like, it's not. I I guess I didn't see it as a critique. I thought I saw it more as a like it is a romantic depiction. I don't think 
in any sense is he trying to say that Breathless is more realistic? Y'all, do we just have to do Breathless in three weeks? Is that no, what we're talking about here? No. <laughs> Y'all don't want to? I would be happy to. I I'd feel like we can, we can oh. talk about it. We can actually give it time. But if Jackson, if you feel that strongly... No, like, yeah, we, can. We, can. we can. We can go watch Breathless. If we really want to talk about Breath of the Wheel, but I remember really disliking it in film school. I don't we really dislike watch... it. I just think it's kind of shitty. That's all. I don't I, have strong feelings either way. I actually genuinely like it. <laughs> and I think it's good. I don't really have any problems with it. <laughs> well, we'll discover. We'll discuss that in three weeks. So. Yes, and and el- uh, and also just saying, like, I know the problems with Godard. I don't like yes, Godard. No, 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 I, no I, yeah, we I we feel were. like I'm coming across as a uh, an intentional misogynist. I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, all right. Oh, that's anyone have any final thoughts about this movie before we get into questions? I'm glad that she got rediscovered. I'm glad that this is her legacy and not yeah. just being Ilya Kazan's ex-wife. Yes. And uh, I'm I'm s- sad that she uh because she, she died pretty much ten years after this movie. And, mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite stories about Barbara Loden comes from Karina Longworth reporting that her last words were shit 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 same and it's like that is the saddest thing oh just heartbreaking and so relatable <laughs> yep. uh okay um we have uh one email if you want to send emails you can send the podcast out of normalmapping.com um you know, about any movies. Uh, this one uh, has some extra James Bond p- uh, questions for you oh, next shit. time, Jackson. I'll need to... Um, if anyone's doing that, can you send them in separate emails so I know? Yes. Um, but this um, this came in before I announced podcast. This is this is just I will I will bonus answer these questions just myself also. If you want to read uh, one's questions, uh, Jackson, that'd be great. Uh, okay, so you want me to read these questions? Yeah, just start, you know, uh, the ones that we've covered, you don't have to, I usually cut these down, because, uh, uh, thank you, Tron, of course, but there's a lot of questions. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll go through this. I'll, um, uh, have you ever not had a job for a long period of time? If yes, uh, were you worried you would end up in a situation similar to what Wanda is in? I, I literally had a time in my life where I was in a situation similar to what Wanda's in. It was not good. You almost uh, lost your kids. No, I mean, not, not the kids part, but I'm I was kidding. definitely uh, homeless living on someone's couch for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, oh, sorry. Oh, no, you go. You go first. I was just going to say, I've never had that situation, but I've definitely had that fear mm-hmm. and that desperation and that I've been that broke. I'll tell you that much. I just got a big family. I'm very blessed in that yeah, regard. I don't, I, don't have, I don't have that benefit, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, I had the, the, I think the only one time, which was the the year between my first uni and then my mo- having to move back to London and go to uni a second time, I didn't have much going on that year, which was the year I wrote eighty thousand words about Metal Gear. You know, I was pretty fucking depressed. <laughs> um, but now that I finished uni, I don't have a like I'm still unemployed, but the podcast network has become big enough that it is a full time job of work for me. So I feel occupied and you know stressed in the way that i would do if i had a job so i don't feel uh unanchored if the if the podcast went away i would be this tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> that's fair uh, th- yeah that checks out <laughs> uh which um what did you think of the aspect ratio uh which is 
I asked because there was a note at the beginning of it that said this was restored. So was this originally cropped to like a wide, a regular widescreen? Because it's in it's in four three, isn't it, or something similar to that? I don't remember. Oh, it has well. been uh, several days since I watched this. Literally, don't remember. I remember it being just normal, like you know, filling my screen aspect ratio. But maybe oh, that's it was not true. It was in four three for me. Huh. Um. Do I don't such. remember. Destiny, do you remember this movie's Croft? No, but uh, we'd have to look up what the Criterion Channel decided to yeah. give us. Uh, well, the cri- the, not, yeah. The Criterion Channel should have probably given it, uh, because mine was a Criterion restoration that they went back. Yes, yeah, so it was in, so the the, the aspect ratio was in 133, uh, but then okay. there was a pre restoration um, release in 166. Okay, uh, I I assume we had the restoration because there was notes about it in the beginning. I just don't remember any of them. Yeah, then yeah, no, we the, definitely yeah. watched the restoration. Yeah. Uh, like I said, do not do not recall. My in my brain, this movie is in widescreen, just like huge vistas of like her walking through the nothing of Pennsylvania. But maybe that's not true. Maybe that's just my brain. It, it's just just your brain. I'm putting a link here. I'll put this in the description. Uh, just click on it and scroll down to just scroll down a bit. There's a few photos halfway down the piece that'll show you a side by side comparison. Oh, cool! Yeah, this was uh, restored in. Um, goodness, when was this restored? 2010. Yep. Oh yeah, we definitely watched the restored version. Yes, we watched the real one. Yeah, and I, I think it worked. I, I like it a lot. I think it would have been different, a different feel if it was a. Uh, uh, in this corrupt one six six form, yeah. Um, uh, do you have any coal mining places uh, like what was shown in this movie in the UK? Uh, we do indeed, but I've never been there. I lived in London. Um, this is this is kind of where my dad's family's from. Like, kind of the half the family lived out in the sticks of Pennsylvania. Half of them lived in Erie, which is just season two of The Wire, but a real place. Um, <laughs> It, it was it was it was steel mining instead or steel factories instead of like shipping, but it's basically the same thing. It was um, depressed for the same reasons and factors yes. and yeah. same sort of blue collar so, white people. Uh, the the part like especially where like it's just like beautiful trees and mountains, and then like the blight of a mining quarry, very real. But I've driven through those places. It sucks. We actually had, it was so funny, the movie opens with the house right on the quarry, and Em's like, there's no way they would let them live there. And I'm like, I don't think they had a choice. I think <laughs> if that's where the money's coming from, that's where you gotta live. I didn't I think it like was a... I feel like it's a safety concern. <laughs> oh, coal mining, safety concern? Nah. <laughs> nah. Not nah. 1971? Uh, there's a few questions. I'll, I'll uh, cut these down because there's uh, just a few questions that we're not going to get to. But I'll think I'll say, uh, what do you make of Wanda and Norman not answering each other's questions uh, when they asked each other for a while during several scenes? Uh, like when Wanda was vomiting or Norman was asking if Wanda was okay and Wanda not asking until Norman repeats the uh, question several more times. And these two just don't actually have... Like, they're not connecting. Like, they're making gestures towards being humans at each other, and it's just meant to be like, uh, this is what you do, right? Like, there's no actual care here. Yeah, they don't actually give a shit about each other. Uh, I I did like the effect of so many, like, so many of the scenes just had, they both had one line of dialogue that they would go back at each other back and forth a few times. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't like, oh, here's the interesting nuance of the verbal interplay. It was just two trucks crashing into each other. Uh, Most yeah. of the film is improvised. It's yeah. really cool. 
Uh, and um, uh, one more on his questions, which is, uh, what's the worst public bathroom you've ever been in? <laughs> All of them, everywhere. Bookstores yeah. in the United States, or at least where I live, uh, bookstores are notoriously just ghastly. So the thing that I've discovered talking to Destiny is I think that uh, men's restrooms, which I use as a non-binary person, but because I read very masculine, are cleaner than women's restrooms on the whole. Uh, because, it's because I every restroom I go into, relatively tidy. Maybe someone has not flushed, and that's a bad time. But, like, it's never gross. <laughs> I think it's because with anatomy, uh, the women's restrooms tend to be, like, you know, there's no separate... In the men's room, you separate the number one from the number two. You yes. have a different area to do yes. each in. Yes. In the women's restroom, everything is happening in the one stall, and also, people have convinced themselves that you're not supposed to sit on the toilet in a public restroom. We've been brainwashed as a culture to think that it's bad to do that. So, traditionally, women are taught to, like, squat over the toilet. That sounds dangerous. That sounds And dangerous. if things are coming... I'm trying not to get graphic. If things are coming <laughs> out of you and you're squatting, they're not gonna... It's gonna get everywhere. And that's what women's restrooms tend to be. It tends to be... Especially if you don't have seat covers... I just sit if if there's. If I just there's, sit if and know. I'm I'm a germaphobe. I am like famously germaphobic. Uh, I will use a seat cover if if available. If not, I will make one out of toilet paper, and uh, I can't squat because I have cerebral palsy. So it's like even extra horrible. <laughs> I might I might wipe down the seat lid, but that's it. I'm just gonna sit. Mm. I'm just gonna yeah. sit. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. Um, but also, nobody's like nobody's like peeing on the seat covers because they just use the urinals. Exactly. So that's like one of the big differences. I think that's okay. that's really what it is. I have to <laughs> object to this because maybe maybe uh, men's toilets in the Midwest are just everyone's too polite to do anything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, no. But, but okay, so uh, in uni there were there were two toilets uh, in the library. Um, I mean, there were toilets everywhere, but these toilets are important. Uh, just <laughs> regular male's toilets, uh, women's toilets, blah, 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 normal stuff. Um, at some point, because of a campaign, they make these toilets gender neutral. For exactly one week, the previously women's toilets uh, is available to everyone. Cleanest toilets in the whole school. Amazing. Beautiful stuff. Uh, best ones I've ever used. One week later, both of these toilets are just disaster zones now that they've let all the boys in. Um, yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> like, I think I'm trying to think of the last time I went to a truly gross bathroom, and it's been maybe four years. Like, I I just don't run into them that often. I'm literally getting anxious talking about this anymore. We have to. We have to. <laughs> I mean, I was losing it during your discussion. Like, if you'll go to figure A. <laughs> the yeah. I'm trying really, like, I was trying hard not to, like, get specific so I wouldn't picture anything. And now I'm miserable. And I'm sad. And I want to sleep forever. Like, ugh. Well, I have a few more questions that I can't really answer because they're about James Bond. But they've been thrown to you who are not on the James Bond podcast. Yeah. Um. I've so only seen, like, three James Bond movies. Well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> do you all They're like all James Bond things. movies? If yes, what's your favorite? I would say and that first. on the whole... Oh, Dustin, you should go first. You have Your answers will be short. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the least. I've only seen the Daniel Craig movies and maybe, like, part of Goldeneye. Goldeneye, uh, oh, yes. 
And I liked Skyfall a lot. <laughs> the end. It is a very good movie. <laughs> um, I once wrote about all the James Bond movies. It's when me and Jackson basically like started becoming friends way back it, in the day. It is, it is, yeah. Um, and watched them all for that. Uh, I would say on the whole, I like James Bond. Uh, not like he, I wouldn't call myself a fan. I just like them. Um, my favorite James Bond movie is probably from Rush with Love, maybe Honor Majesty's Secret Service, one of those. Russia's lost so fucking good. Goldeneye's also up there. Uh, Skyfall's up there. That's probably top four. Uh, who's your favorite Bond? Uh, I mean, Destiny, I guess, can't ask this. I don't have one. Craig is good, but I have nothing to compare him to. Like, the first two Brosnan movies would suggest Brosnan, but then the other two happen, so probably Dalton. Brosnan is really good. Yeah, he but then, then he stops caring. He clearly stops caring. Yeah, but the the you know the the bad movies. Yeah, I can't put that on his head. Yeah. Um. Uh. What's your least favorite James Bond movie? Goldfinger. I'm gonna answer for Destiny. I bet it's Quantum of Solace. <laughs> I barely remember it, but yeah, no, it sucked. <laughs> you've only seen the Craig movies. There's no other answer it could be. <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, and I'll just combine these ones into two yes. because I assume that they're the same. Uh, what's your? Uh, what are your top and bottom uh, Bond like intros? And can can mean songs, can mean visuals. I assume. I, I don't remember the visuals songs. that much of most of them. Yeah. yeah. What's your um, favorite Bond song? My favorite Bond song, uh, probably Goldeneye. Okay, that's a good one. I really like. Uh, I like a lot of them. Beauty of the Kill is really good. It's really that's a good. fucking jam. Uh, I like. I like that you've Goldfinger. not seen the movies, but you're very familiar with every Bond theme. I am. I'm a music nerd. I don't know. I I I've always loved that stuff. Um. Yeah. What's Go your on. opinion on the ongoing, or the, not ongoing, but on the long and tragic saga of Radiohead trying to make, write a James Bond theme? Their Spectre theme is pretty good. <laughs> it, it's very, very good. <laughs> um, I would say least favorite is For Your Eyes Only. It's the one that comes to mind first. What song is that? Is that I called For Your Eyes yeah, Only? Yeah, it's called For Your Eyes Only. I don't think I know it. I know, uh, I don't like Nobody Does It Better. It's and very it's similar in terms choice. of like ballady song. Yeah, I don't like the ballady ones. I like the bombastic ones. That's my take. That's I'm on there Bond as well. Themes. I think they should yeah. do more upbeat James Bond themes. I think there's ballads that work. I like From Rush with Love. That's a ballad. Uh, yeah. But I like You Only Live Twice. Is that a ballad? That's bombastically balladic. <laughs> yeah, they they live. The songs live in a spectrum along the two axes of belting out a song and crying into a song. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, I wonder who's. I wonder who's going to do the next one. They haven't been. I'm going to. Uh, I will say maybe the biggest dichotomy between I images I think are cool and a song I think is bad is "You Know My Name" from Casino Royale. Sorry, Jackson. You don't yes. Like, you know my name. I don't no. like it either. You don't like you know my name. Wait, wait, no. which one is that? Is that the Jack White one? Yeah. No. 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 Oh, is that the Chris that Cornell? That's bad across the board. It's the Chris Cornell. I like one. the Chris Cornell one. Thank yeah, you. I like Thank that. You. I, you know what it is though? Chris Cornell has a beautiful voice. That's all it is. He's just a great 
singer. I just don't think I just don't associate that sound with James Bond. I I don't think it's great. I don't know. I the Jack White Alicia Keys song is actually the one of the worst, like the worst modern Bond theme for sure. Terrible song. I'll take Madonna over that. Like Jesus Christ. (laughs) What about that Cheryl Crow one? That one's pretty bad. It's okay. I think it's fine. So bad because it's not just bad Madonna. It's bad Madonna over scenes of fucking. Pierce Brosnan getting tortured by the North over Korean scenes Democrat. of like an ice scorpion. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> die another day is good. Maybe <laughs> pretty good. And then he comes in after being tortured for two years, and it's like, ah, oh, a Remington shaver. Let me get rid of this beard. <laughs> yeah, my my North Korea torture beard <laughs> gone <laughs> in an instant. I'm trying to remember some visuals, and I really, I, I the one of my favorite things though is the opening. Is it Skyfall that has the Day of the Dead opening, or is no, it that's the other? Spectre? Spectre, that's a good opening, like with the not the credits. I just mean the the parade. Yeah. Cool. Oh, that's I, that's one of my sequence. favorite uh, one yes. of my favorite Bond openings in general. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, the Casino Royale Bond opening is also very good. If the entire movie it's, had been it's, that, it's, it would be a it's incredibly movie. yes, it's really good. Yes. Uh, Casino Royale, a really good first half of a movie and, like, just a fine second one. I, I don't really, think it's revelatory as people do. I just remember that first half very strongly when I think about it. Because you're right, I don't mm-hmm. think about the second half ever. She drowns in an elevator. It's all kind of dumb at that point. Really, yeah, it is. It is very dumb. <laughs> and then he's like, he shoots that one guy in the leg. Yep. Anyway. And then the next movie opens with that. You're like, man, they're going to go for something here. And they do not. Uh, pray for whoever plays that one uh, uh, Judy Dench's assistant character who turns out to be a member of Quantum because he thought he was in for a solid gig of just showing up and reading out some random lines like all middle management I don't, I don't even Bond. remember what the hell you're talking about so. so you know how every James Bond movie has like a couple of characters who are like just around M yes. to, to be the you know middlemen and they're yes. always the same one in every movie there's the there's the one that's been in the last two who's pretty good at this but yes the one of the big shocking twists in the start of quantum of solace is that that guy is a quantum spy and bond has to go hunt him down and uh, rip his paycheck great uh, but that's it. We are clearly done with this podcast. Yeah. Uh, next week, we are watching... Uh, we'll take a different tact from all these art films, and we're going to watch the artiest the film The film! <laughs> uh, and we're watching Torque. Woo! Uh, which is a Joseph Kahn film. Um, parodying? I don't... I, yeah, parodying yeah. the Fast and Furious movies that existed at the time, which were just the first two. Um... And I don't know how you're gonna have to find it how you find it because it's, it's not streaming anywhere. It's it's for rent and for purchase on all the stores. Yes, me. yes, yes, yeah, yes. Like it, it's on all the services, but it's not on any of the free ones. But it is yep. accessible. Uh, it's on. Blu-ray. I have a Blu-ray that I bought ages ago to show Destiny when we were just friends and not dating, and never did. So <laughs> it's time for talk. It's time for talk. Yep. No bad movies on this podcast. No, 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 no. But kind of different than our normal tact. I was <laughs> yeah. like, let's watch something. We've been watching a lot of depressing 70s movies. Let's watch something stupid. <laughs> we gave her the throne of blood to talk. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's all we've got. Um, Destiny, where can people find you online? At FridgeBuzzNow on Twitter.com and most places. Uh, Jackson, where can people find you? I am at HedgeVillesOff on, on Twitter.com. So you can find me, you can find the podcast we do at abnormalmapping.com. There's a whole bunch of there, including the ones that we've been promoing today. Yeah. Mine's not up yet, but you know, it's there. Yeah, it'll be there. 
You can f- find me on Twitter at em underscore being. Uh, if you want to support this network and all the fine shows we make, you can go to patreon.com slash abnormal mapping. Uh, we have a variety of rewards. For $1 a month, you get us... Uh, watching Gundam. Forgot what we were doing because I was thinking about the next thing I was going to say. Um, watching Gundam every week. It's called The Great Gundam Project. People seem to like it. We're watching Gundam, uh, Victory Gundam and Macross right now. Um, new shows on the horizon. G Gundam, which is the one that, where they all are in a tournament, is coming up. Woo! So look forward to Punch Robots. Uh, and if you uh, really want to support us, and I understand this is, you know, outside the realm of most uh, willing, to, I would not support the Patreon at $10, but you get yeah. VoIP Life. And coming up relatively soon, I think as soon as we get our next beach house out from under us, uh, we are probably going to be doing a talk through a Revenge of the Sith. Uh, Star Wars episode, yes! which is movie related, so I bring it up because people will keep asking about it, and we just need to get it done. So this is the first time I've heard of this. I mean, I knew yes. you were going to do it, but I didn't realize it was this close on the docket. Yeah, someone's talking about it on the Discord. We have a Discord also. If you go to normalmapping.com, scroll down, you'll see the Discord. Join the Discord. It's nice. We like talking about movies and stuff. Uh, but we were talking about it. Someone's like, I really wish you'd cover Star Wars. And I was like, you know, we have been saying we'd do that Revenge of the Sith thing for literally two years now. We, we promised it would be like a commentary track, right? Yeah, we're just going to talk over the movie. We'll put it on. And I don't think we're going to commentary this movie as much as yeah. we're going to talk about Star Wars for two and a half hours. Ever we're long just going to use the movie as a background riffing point to talk about Star Wars, yes. I suppose. Um, you, I am going to go ahead. We haven't we haven't recorded it, obviously. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say podcast will be as listenable if you've got the movie on in the background or don't. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll be like, oh man, this opening is one of the best Star Wars openings. But outside of that, I don't think we're going to talk too much about specifics of scenes. If you don't know Revenge of the Sith, you should watch it because it's the best Star Wars movie. But other than that, <laughs> I think it'll be fine. It's ironic, isn't it? It's not ironic. It's just good. <laughs> it is good. All right. Podcast done. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Yeah, we'll see you Bye. at the movies. <laughs> I can't. I can't use that one. That's taken. Don't expect to like him. <laughs> Don't expect to like him. <laughs> <laughs>